Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic, overseeing our TOSIC Phase I and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. David Liska, director of the Sanford R. Weiss, MD, Center for Hereditary Colorectal Neoplasia. He's here today to talk to us about the Weiss Center and hereditary colon cancers. So welcome, David. Tell me a little bit about your role here at Cleveland Clinic as we get started. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm a colorectal surgeon here at the Cleveland Clinic. I've been here now about seven years, and um, I'm also the director of the Y Center, as you mentioned. The Y Center is dedicated to taking care of patients with hereditary colorectal uh, cancers. So uh, just for sort of as a backdrop, um, what kind of cancers would that include? So when you talk about hereditary colorectal cancers, it's normally one of the short list of questions that people ask me, is this hereditary? Tell me a little bit about what that would encompass. Right. So, so in general, about 5% of all colorectal cancers are hereditary. And what that means is that these individuals have a hereditary colorectal syndrome, usually because they inherited an abnormal gene from their parents. And this gene predisposes them to develop a colorectal cancer. And frequently, this is also associated with other types of cancers that can arise in different organs. And this is a little bit different of what we call familial colorectal cancer. We know that colorectal cancer in general uh, can run in families, even when you don't have a gene that predisposes you to that condition. However, what we're talking about when we're saying hereditary colorectal cancer is those patients that have a known genetic syndrome, and those are at very high risk for colorectal cancer, even higher than the ones who have a familial colorectal cancer. So these are typically people who know that they have colon cancer are very, very high risk. These aren't necessarily people who stumble into colon cancer. Is that correct? It can be both. Often, especially if they're part of a registry, like the one we have at the Y Center, then uh, these are families that know that they have this gene running through their families, and they'll know ahead of time that they have the gene so that we can prevent cancers from happening or detect them very early. However, there are some people who, who do kind of stumble into this, where they get a diagnosis of colorectal cancer, and then because of different things that are part of the family history or part of the cancer history, we suspect a hereditary cancer and then test them, uh, you know, have them see a genetic counseling, get genetic testing, which then confirms the diagnosis. So it can go both ways uh, in terms of knowing ahead of time if you have a hereditary syndrome or not. So we'll talk about a little bit about the, the Weiss Center itself here in a, in a couple of minutes. But you mentioned uh, other cancers and other sort of associated cancers. Um, what sort of cancers would people be thinking about? Um, they see a patient, they have other cancers. Um, when would they think, hey, maybe this is hereditary colon cancer? A lot of times, some of the hereditary colorectal cancers are associated with polyposis, meaning that you developed lots and lots of polyps throughout your colon and other parts of your intestine. And if somebody has a colonoscopy that shows that, that will make us immediately think of a hereditary colorectal cancer syndrome. Another thing would be if they have multiple cancers in the colon, if you have colon cancer on the left side of your colon and the right side of the colon, that would make us think maybe you, you have a hereditary colorectal cancer syndrome. Or if you have a very strong family history of different cancers or different colon cancers that run in your family. And lastly, like you said, um, if you have different cancers, so for example, if you have a uterine cancer, so a, a cancer of the uterus, 
plus a colon cancer, not necessarily at the same time, but uh, during your lifetime, that will make us think of a certain colorectal cancer syndrome and will prompt us to refer the patient to one of our genetic counselors to talk about getting genetic testing. So we mentioned the Weiss Center. What is the Weiss Center? Uh, give us a little background about what that is and what patients could expect through the Weiss Center. Yeah, so the Weiss Center, it's made up of a large team of providers from different disciplines and specialties. And we are all focused on the care of patients and the families who have or who are at risk for hereditary colorectal cancer syndrome. And patients and their families are enrolled in a hereditary registry, which was founded about 40 years ago by Dr. Jagelman, whom the registry is named after. And at this point, there's one of the largest registry of its kind in the world. We follow different conditions, like we discussed, different conditions that are hereditary colorectal cancer syndromes, um, including polyposis and non-polyposis syndromes. And by being part of this registry, patients are being followed very closely, patients and their family, so we can detect cancer early or prevent cancer from happening. And not only focusing on one specific cancer, but focusing really on the patient as a whole. And our goal is to prevent cancer while at the same time optimizing the quality of life of, of patients. And uh, besides just our focus on providing the best patient care, we're also focused on advancing the field with research and education, educating patients and physicians, because these are rare conditions that you know not everybody has expertise in. It is our uh, privilege to be able to educate patients and other providers uh, you know, how to best take care of these people. And these education efforts, are these uh, primarily aimed at patients or families or their support groups or uh, through, through conferences? What, what, what sort of education? Right, a little bit of everything. So obviously, every time we meet a patient, the education part is very important because uh, many times these uh, are individuals that are part of a family with hereditary syndrome, but they don't actually have a cancer yet. So there's a lot of education there uh, in terms of how can we sort of be part of the person's life and making sure that without interfering with normal life, we can still make sure that we prevent cancer. And then we have a, a yearly hereditary health day where we have families come to hear from different families. We have shared medical appointments where we have sometimes multiple patients with a similar diagnosis come together to allow for an interactive experience. And we have conferences that are aimed towards physicians. And uh, we participate in many national and international conferences to be able to share our findings from the registry with other centers as well. Well, so it's pretty broad. You mentioned uh, multidisciplinary care. It's certainly, uh, you know, as with most cancers, this uh, seems to be something that would that would be particularly important. Who's on the team? What what sort of team members do you have in the Weiss Center? Again, we are very fortunate to have a large team, and and I would be amiss to to not say that probably the most important team members are our coordinators, and we have three dedicated coordinators whose primary objective is really just to make sure that this whole process is as seamless as possible for the patient, but also that nobody falls through the cracks. And we are very lucky we have coordinators who have been with the registry in a long time. They have uh, they know each patient, like I just need to mention a name of a patient. They know exactly who they are. They know the entire family. And uh, they develop relationships with, with our patients and um, really make sure that uh, they get to see everyone they need to see and again, we try, we have people coming from far away. We try to make sure they get to see all other members of the team that they need to see in the same day or maybe within two days, to make it as, as easy of a process as possible. And the other members of the team, so we have um, several uh, surgeons, both colorectal surgeons, upper GI surgeons, uh, gynecologic surgeons, 
uh, endocrine surgeons, urologic surgeons. Uh, we have a large group of gastroenterologists uh, to, to perform endoscopy and advanced endoscopic procedures. Uh, we have genetic counselors that are very important for the team, uh, given that this is a hereditary condition. Uh, and we have other medical specialties, such as uh, breast cancer specialties, pulmonary specialists. And we are very fortunate to have a large team of, of experts who, who uh, really have very specialized expertise for these conditions. You mentioned a couple of times uh, patients and families, and certainly with a hereditary condition, that's important. So um, when you say family, what kind of breadth are we talking? Are we talking immediate family? How extensive does that family reach go in a condition like this? You know, as extensive as we can, as we can get, you know, um, we start obviously with the person that, uh, that has a, a cancer, is diagnosed with a cancer, and ideally they would get genetically tested. But if they didn't or, or, you know, are not interested in that, then we can test the children as well. And, and then we go, you know, first degree relatives are usually the highest risk, but we follow a family tree and different types of condition are inherited in a different fashion. But we go as far as the gene carries, really. Uh, we have families that, that, you know, we have cousins and nephews, but usually the first degree relatives are the ones that are in immediate risk at first. I'm going to uh, take a step back here. So we've talked before about, um, you said something about registries. So we have kind of a diverse group of people who listen in. Um, what is a registry and sort of what can you do with a registry? So kind of registry versus study, how, how, how does that get defined? The first colorectal cancer registry started actually in 1920s in England at a hospital at St. Mark's. And uh, one of our colorectal surgeons uh, who trained there back in the 70s he came back here to the States and, and started our own registry here back in 1979. That was Dr. Jagelman. And what a registry is, it allows us to prospectively sort of going forward, uh, follow these uh, patients and their families, uh, making sure that they're part of a service that we provide where we follow them, make sure they get all their testing done. It's not just for research, which is different from a study. A study is, is for research where we enroll patients for research and then study outcomes. This is a registry where we use it for clinical care as well. Yes, research is important too, but it's more for the clinical care of the patients because these patients are at risk for cancer in the future. So we can make sure they get the testing they need at the time they need so we can prevent uh, any advanced cancer from forming. And I think it's important you mentioned uh, perspective. So you sort of get to collect what you want to collect, which is different than a retrospective look where you are sort of at the mercy of what might have been collected. Exactly, exactly. And the research component, that's a very important part of our mission at the Y Center. Again, these are rare conditions. Um, uh, so there are very few patients that have this uh, certain conditions. And by being able to have all this uh, data and information and learning which treatments are best, uh, we have the opportunity to advance the field for all patients that have that condition. And that's uh, an, another really important part of the registry, like you mentioned, that we can collect all this data, but also have the opportunity to try uh, new trials, new medications potentially that can help us prevent cancer as well. Thinking about scope, how big is the registry? So rare diseases, rare, rare sorts of conditions, but you've been at it for a really long time. So how big is the registry? Right. So, so in terms of overall uh, patients and families, uh, we have over 10,000 uh, in the registry. Now, people with a confirmed genetic condition, about four to 5,000 uh, at this point, depending on which 
Again, some are more rare. So, so certain diseases we have maybe 60, 70 individuals and others we have like familial adenomatous polyposis, which is probably the one we have the highest number in our registry. We have close to 3,000. So we think about rare diseases, outreach is, is probably something important to try to, to capture as many cases as you can. How do people get to you? Is it mostly uh, people that kind of go on the, the web and they see about you? Is it doctor referrals or how do people come to the center and know about you? So some of it, again, because we, we treat families, not just individuals. So there's some natural growth to it because family members uh, keep getting added to the registry uh, just by being uh, related to someone. So, so if you get diagnosed with a hereditary condition, like I said, part of it is the education. And then we, we encourage our patients to reach out to their family members to, to get the appropriate testing. And then if they are interested, can also become part of a registry. But other than that, you know, as, as being one of the few registries in the country, there's outreach to physicians uh, throughout the country and people who know us in the field. And they will refer to us patients, you know, obviously from regional centers, uh, but also uh, from the entire country and some even international patients. So you're certainly following through the registry a lot of people. What does this model look like in terms of, you mentioned the importance of the coordinators and, and sort of keeping track of people along the way in their course. Uh, are these primarily things where people will get surveillance scans here, or is this more of a coordination of care out where people live and sort of just making sure they get connected with the right resources? How do, what does that look like? It's a little bit of both, and it depends a little bit on how far you are. You know, we have specialists here that are unique in their expertise, and you need a complicated endoscopy or complicated surgery, and those would be the patients we would strongly encourage to come here to have those procedures done. Uh, anything that can be done at an outside center and can then be sent to us for, for review, uh, we do that. And now, uh, especially since the start of the pandemic, we've all gotten, including us and our patients, we've all gotten very comfortable in doing virtual visits. And we do a lot of these too. So there's a lot of stuff we can do um, remotely and, and virtually. However, there are certain things that require special expertise for which our patients do come here. And again, like I said, we, we, we have a coordinators who really make sure that if somebody does need to come here in person, that we make sure we do a one-stop shop, so to speak, where they can get uh, see all their specialists and have all the procedures done within the same day. Perfect. You mentioned uh, the ability to sort of follow people over time and, and see maybe an intervention and what has happened. And you also mentioned trying to prevent cancer. So what kind of what kind of research questions have have come from the the center? What kind of things have have you guys been able to come up with the answers for that have changed the field? There have been a lot of advances in the surgical treatment, and me as a colorectal surgeon, those are some of the questions I'm very interested in. Because again, the goal is not only to prevent cancer. That's obviously our most important goal: is to prevent cancer and to cure cancer when it happens but also to make sure we focus on the quality of life of the patients. So, you know, the question, for example, of somebody with familial adenomatous polyposis, meaning that the colon makes thousands of polyps that all have a chance of turning into cancer, is how much do you have to remove? Do you have to remove all of it? Can you leave some of the rectum? If you do have to remove all of it, what is the best way of reconstructing it so the patient still has an excellent quality of life? And those are questions that have been addressed and, and looked at for the last 20, 30 years with some incredible advances in the field of surgery, you know, in terms of uh, minimally invasive surgery, but also determining which patient can have what type of surgery to maximize both quality of life and minimize the risk for cancer. And, and there's still some ongoing questions there 
um, that we're looking at and that we're answering. Uh, besides the surgical care, there's also a lot of interest in chemoprophylaxis, meaning what medication can we give our patients that are at high risk for colorectal cancer to reduce the risk of, of colorectal cancer? And there's some very interesting and some encouraging trials out there for different patients and different diseases in terms of medications that can prevent cancer from forming. There's still a lot of research that needs to be done. And again, because these are rare conditions, it can take some time. Is it possible that some patients may be spared surgery as a result of those interventions? That would be our goal. Uh, it depends, again, on the on the type of uh, underlying condition you have. And our goal would be, ideally, to, to prevent the need for surgery. What's the, uh, the biggest gap that you're waiting for that next big breakthrough? Probably the biggest gap, and that would be chemo prevention for FAP patients. We, we are all looking for medications that can prevent the growth of polyps and prevent these polyps from turning into cancer. And there have been some encouraging trials. At this point, though, still most of our patients do need surgery, but we are wondering if there are certain medications that we can develop that can reduce the amount of surgery they need, both in the lower GI tract and the upper GI tract, and that, that would be something very important. As you know, Dr. Shepard, desmoids are a major problem for familial adenomatous polyposis, and medical treatment for those desmoids is, is still not as good as we'd want it to be, and that's definitely something we're also very interested in. Yeah, no, that's great. So... What's the, the best way for people to reach out to you and, and be able to get their patients involved with the Weiss Center? Yeah, so uh, we, we have a website. Go to the main Cleveland Clinic website and Weiss Center, and we have our own website. There's an appointment number that goes straight to our coordinators, which is 216-444-6470. There's an email address, weisscenter at ccf.org. So there's many different ways. If you just call the general Cleveland Clinic appointment uh, line, you'll also get to us. So there's many different ways to get to us. And, and, you know, we really encourage everybody to reach out, even if they don't know if we are the right people to take care of them. Uh, we would be happy to, to work that out with anybody who calls us. Well, it sounds like you're doing some outstanding work, and I appreciate your insight. Um, any additional comments? One other thing we're working on at the, at the Weiss Center now is it's been a lot of stuff in the media recently about early onset colorectal cancer, where it's not only hereditary conditions, but we find that even without hereditary conditions, young people more and more uh, are developing colorectal cancer uh, for somewhat unknown reasons. And, uh, you know, as part of the Weiss Center, we are now established a center dedicated to the care of patients with early onset colorectal cancer. And that's a topic in itself. We're also dedicating ourselves to really provide care for these younger people, meaning younger than age 50 with colon cancer, which, like I said, is really an alarming increase we see in these patients. And we're trying to focus on the care of these patients with special needs they may have, and also focus on research in terms of figuring out why this is happening and how it can be prevented. Yeah, that's a, a really, really important problem. The, the guidelines recently changed to 45 for screening, but that's really not going to help the 20 and 30-year-olds that are coming into my clinic with metastatic disease. So I appreciate your efforts to try to sort out what, uh, what might be in play and try to identify those patients. Well, very good. Well, I appreciate your, uh, your insight. And thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for having me. To learn more about the Weiss Center or to refer a patient, please call 216-444-6470 or visit clevelandclinic.org slash Weiss Center. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, 
SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.